Hi folks, I'm Duncan Guild, child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I'm Victoria Lee, licensed clinical mental health counselor. And welcome to Is There a Med for That? The podcast about teen mental health, behavioral problems, and what to do about them. Victoria and I have been working together for years with kids. Sometimes we use therapy, sometimes medication. Sometimes we just give guidance to parents. And we realize that sometimes kids just need to be left alone. We don't have all the answers, but we've got some of them. We'll do our best to share what we've learned over the years working with struggling kids and their families. We hope you enjoy the show and that we can be helpful to those who have taken on the hardest, most important job in the world, being a parent. Victoria. Duncan. Hi. How's it going today? Good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Feeling a little bit like we wanted to maybe have a good conversation today about figuring ourselves out a little bit. Yeah, Vicky was pretty funny today, and uh, we were talking about what we were going to talk about in the podcast, and she said, does anybody ever talk about themselves? When I was thinking about you, because you can go on and on about yourself, <laughs> so I thought if we didn't have a topic to talk about, why not talk start about there? Talk about Duncan. <laughs> In partly I, where this was all coming up today, we had a lot of ideas for what we could talk about, but we're a little bit in an identity crisis, I think, in like our podcast. Like any good adolescent. Yeah. And hopefully any human at various points in our life, right, where we re-examine and take into account who we have been, who we are, and who we want to be. Nice. Yeah, exactly. So as far as the podcast goes, um, we've got a developing a, a little mailing list. We've got, I don't know, maybe 20 or 25. So I've I started doing a newsletter. I appreciate you taking care of and Oh, it's been fun managing. to write little newsletters and post pictures of us and yeah. that kind of thing. And um, I think we've had about 1,300. <laughs> I told my cousin this and I said, we've had 1,300 listens. And he said, no, you've had 1,300 downloads. So anyways, but that's impressive starting out. And, that's how you um, get to a, a listen eventually, That's how you get right? to listen. So I have no idea how many listens we've had, but we've got, uh, what, 30 episodes. Wow. And we've been talking about where to go with this. And one thing we talked about was uh, feeling a little bit limited sometimes. Um, we talk about teens and adolescents and the work we do here, and it often bridges into larger mental health discussions but I think both you and I have felt a little bit limited and um, sort of handcuffed yeah. when we get to that to sort of try to reel it back in when a lot of this other mental health stuff that we both have experience with, you know, adults with mental health and families and old folks and young kids, um, it all relates and we think it could be useful uh, for parents as well. And anybody else who wants to listen who's just interested in this kind of stuff. Yeah, and then when we thought about taking the podcast to a broader topic of all mental health, we also didn't want to lose our connection to parents, which we feel really passionate about because we know it is one of the most important jobs in the world. And we want to help a lot of the parents out there who are currently stressed out and feeling overwhelmed if their kid's struggling. So we don't want to lose that either. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, we both have experience outside of just teens. We've been working yep. for 13 years or so together. Actually, director's coming to 15 years. Yeah, so we've been working together for about 13, 13. maybe 13 and a half. And so this is age 12 to, well, we've had as young as 10 once, and we had as old as 24. Occasionally we'll get some adult Repeats. child back who wants to kind of hang out for a while. Um, 
But we do so much more. We work with parents. So you have a lot of experience with that. Yep. We end up doing family work. Yep. Um, a lot of the parents, I don't want to say, well, some of the parents struggle with their own mental health things. Definitely. And you have experience particularly working with, you do couples therapy, right? Yeah, which I really love. And to me, a lot of that is about parenting, right? And not even if we're not talking about, even if the couple doesn't have children yet. But to me, if you can help a marriage or a couple be stronger together, you, you ultimately are going to help probably a lot of kids in the world. And so much of this stuff is... Uh, sort of generalizable too. We talk about parenting principles that we're sort of uh, in the midst of identifying and, and talking about more. Uh, we want to bring that to you more on, on this podcast. Yep. But so many coming. of the parenting principles apply to good therapists and even therapists taking care of adults. Definitely. Um, and parents taking care of kids and, and being a good friend. And all yep. these things are so related. It, it um, is hard to keep a particular focus. I think it, it's made it a little difficult for us. Yeah. So we want to start to talk more about various topics and feel free to do that without misleading our listeners who are tuning in for the parenting piece. But we also want to be able to and be edu truly educational and not just focusing on a too narrow of a focus where we're losing out on sharing the information experience and perhaps wisdom we have to share. Yeah. So you worked at NCH, National Children's Home, a residential for... Um, Handful of years when I first graduated with from my undergrad. So... And that was that included young kids, right? How, how young did kids get? Yeah. Geez, I forget exactly. Maybe six or eight-ish. I was in the younger girls' residence. So they were all under 13. And that's, there's some significant differences to working with that age group versus once you hit about, you know, puberty, right? Definitely. Yep. A lot less about individuation, a lot about attachment styles. Um, yeah. More play involved or more traditional, what we would think of as play. We all play, but um, yeah. And that was really great experience. I loved, I loved working there. I think it's difficult work and the nature of the work and agencies all have their strengths and weaknesses. But, um, I thought it was really important work and connecting with the younger kids. I really liked, it's a lot more fun in certain ways than teenagers. You get to like play and do stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, you don't have some of the issues of, of that you have in the older girls unit, which is, uh, can look very different, right? And I was thinking the whole, all four units, right? There's younger boys, older boys, younger girls, older girls, I imagine would have pretty different set of challenges in yeah, being staff. And very um, unique personalities and the issues that repeatedly come up very distinct to each one. Yeah. The younger girls, there's a lot more, the younger boys, the most energetic. Um, it looks like a one giant ADHD session, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, normal boys look like yeah, that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, good way to put it. Um, and then when we should have Rick on, we have a, we're counselor here yeah. who also works over there currently still which is where I actually met Rick and Joe um the younger girls they were sweeter they had moments where they were not sweet at all you know toothpaste in the face or <laughs> pulling hair or biting um 
but very much more the play was a calmer taper play generally and wanting to be together and hang out um and maybe struggled with boundaries and, and whatnot within that um but yeah way calmer and then the older girls tend to just be way more opening the window around. and running away right yeah that's a part of it but also to just like sit around and talk huh more drama, like yeah. emotional and figuring out relationship boundaries and, um, less connective in the way that the younger girls were. And then the older boys, um, I always felt they were, I, I don't know, very, Rick was good at, at the older boys. He should come in and talk about them, but, um, yeah, less, he says all they do nowadays really is video games and stuff like that, but less about connecting with, you know, the play and having fun and more about, um, probably similar to the older girls, but less drama, interpersonal drama, more fight, more fights, but more less fights, drama, yeah. if that makes sense. And you also worked a lot with substance abusers and that's adults, you know, a yeah, lot of your work was adults, yep. right? Yeah, I, um, absolutely. I've done a lot of substance use disorder treatment. Uh, I've worked in a medically assisted treatment program. So adults, yeah, I ran groups for a while in a Suboxone clinic. Oh, 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 I see. I was thinking about a medical facility. Well, there was a doctor who was prescribing the medication and then I ran the groups that worked on the recovery part of it. And what kinds of drugs were those? Um, opiates. Yep. And they often dual addictions going on there in dual diagnosis, but the focus was on, uh, recovery in general. And dual diagnosis typically refers to a mental health problem combined with a, um, substance abuse problem. Yeah. People tend, yeah. In the, um, you can look at it whether or not, you know, the substance abuse or addiction problem is primary or the mental health is primary is the way that people like to distinguish. And they're usually both primary. (laughs) They often tend to be um, or sometimes you just have to pick one to focus on right. and, and help the other as you go along with it. Different, you know, like the back door, the front door, they both lead to the house. Let's talk about me for a second. I was waiting. <laughs> um, yeah. So in residency, we work with some with kids, uh, actually a lot with kids because I did the fellowship, but uh, a lot on adult When units. you say fellowship, what? It- so I did three years. So after medical school. You specialize in psychiatry. And so I did three years of adult psychiatry. So that's outpatient, inpatient. Um, you, you learn some types of therapies as well. Um, a little bit of residential stuff. So I did that for three years and then um, switched over to a, a fellowship, which is after residency, essentially. So it was two extra years working specifically with kids. And are you a doctor at that point? <laughs> you know, I was asking if you thought I was a doctor now. <laughs> We've worked together for a Sometimes long time. I Victoria. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're a doctor after med school, but... Right after med school, you're a doctor. Sort of aimless. Okay. Yeah. But you have to have a lot of parameters around you for a bit to... You actually don't need any parameters. You do need a license. Okay. Um, but some people finish their MD and then write books like Michael Crichton, I think. Is the residency... Is that when you're in med school or no? No. So, so, so you're already a doctor. Med school is two years of, of learning from books, two years of rotating through Rotations. hospitals doing different types of specialties. Okay. Then like the you get ER. your MD. Yeah. ER, pediatrics, internal medicine, surgery, 
obstetrics, gynecology, psychiatry, and you get some electives. So it's kind of fun. And then you pick something to specialize in. And those residencies are usually one, no, not even one, no, three to five years. And during residency, you actually get paid, which is nice, but you can work pretty brutal hours and the doctors sort of haze you and take advantage of you. (laughs) Lowest man on the totem pole. Yeah, the nurses hate you and... Not Shit. as much as when you're a med student. I like you more, but... Um, you're up one more tier. Yeah. So you do that for th- three, whatever, four years, and then you can specialize further in a fellowship. So it might be, if you're a surgeon, that could be plastic surgery. Okay. Or if you're a sur- you know, uh, what else? Neurologist, it could be a particular... And so when you graduated yeah. med school, you knew you were a psychiatrist at that point? No. No. When no. did you figure that out? I, I knew by the time I graduated, I was going to go into psychiatry. Okay. Right. But I guess you're technically not a psychiatrist until after residency. Okay. I was just a plain old doctor. vanilla doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so worked a lot with adults, mostly with adults during residency, all with adults during those three years, and then with kids, young and old, and some geriatrics, some old folks during residency, so experience there. And then, yeah, I worked outpatient with young kids and teenagers for four years. And then we did direction. So it's been all teens. But I also do other work for um, New Hampshire courts. So I go up to New Hampshire hospital and see patients there who are typically not kids. They're adults and geriatric folk who have serious mental illness and are judged to be potentially a danger to themselves or others when they're released into society. So there may be requirements they have to fulfill, like going to um, treatment centers and therapy and taking their medication. And some people may have those requirements requested by the court. And I go and testify, I meet with the patients, and I testify as to whether or not they meet the standard for conditional discharge or continued supervision in mm. the community. Which is a f- an expertise you have in more... I would say, I don't want to say extreme mental health issues, but more serious adult mental health. Yeah, definitely more extreme and interesting because I've said this before, it reminds me what mental health problems can look like in adults because in kids you sort of see these very often attenuated versions that are mixed with individuation and growing up. Yep. But then to see what it is and see what heavy duty medicine looks like and... yeah, and it'd be nice to be able to hear more about what you learned there and dive into topics that come up in that realm without having to feel like um, we're scaring parents, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's a reason that we're doing this? Yeah. So yeah, and it gives us, uh, we can feel better because we'll be able to talk more yep. about whatever. A wide range of topics. And we were even talking about, um, we're talking about personality disorders, right? Yep. And, and we're... T- Talking about, it sort of came up, you know, sociopathy and is evil a true thing? And then I want to do a full episode on what is evil. Yeah. Right? Yep. And you can't really do that and just call yourself purely a parent podcast. Right. Unless we're talking to that really one unfortunate parent. Or evil children. We do have evil children here. Yeah. But um, that would allow us to... Talk about your own kids. (laughs) That would allow us to talk more generally about philosophical... Really... Honestly, it's about us, right? It's about us feeling like we can talk more about what we want to talk about and call it a podcast. 
which I think will hopefully create a better experience for as people. As a side listening. effect, maybe good for other people as well. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Spoken like the true doctor. Um, it's all about Duncan. <laughs> Duncan, the Duncan experience is what he actually wanted I to call want to this talk show. About renaming this show. <laughs> if you came I've done some thinking. Okay. Cool. Any other experience in your life currently that you feel working in this field has been good for you? Kind of a question. Coaching, right? Oh, I love, yeah. (laughs) Coaching is a whole psychological experiment for you. Education as well as, as any coach knows, any parent who's tried to go, we're both parents. Be nice to be able to talk about that a little bit freely more from the perspective of just being parents. Right. Because you learn a lot that way. Definitely. Um, How about you? Well, you had sort of a youth with some contact with, I don't know if it was contact with the mental health system, but certainly with substances and that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. And long-term recovery, you know, experience from being a teenager slash young adult in active addiction and then being an adult with long-term recovery. Yeah. And that comes into play in my life in various ways because my husband's also in recovery. So we have, it's less of a focus than I expected it to be in our lives as parents, but um, it definitely is the foundation for everything that we've built. And so knock on wood, both of us, you know, our kids have never seen either one of us drink or smoke or anything like that, which we're very lucky for. And we think that's you know, part of, I think we're lucky in a lot of ways because some people, and it's totally okay if this is where people are at, I think you get stuck in recovery or capped off in recovery and life becomes all just about not using. It becomes a little bit of an identity by itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a big phase in recovery, but I think as you move through life and have long-term recovery, that's an anchor for you and a foundation and a continued practice. But there's life becomes a lot more expansive. It opens up. Mm. Your limits will set you free. And I, it's definitely helped you uh, in your work, your experience, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Being able to help relate to people, not in the sense for myself relating, but um, understanding what they're trying to communicate, um, knowing a little bit of the emotional or mental experiences people might have gone through during active use. Um, also, too, unfortunately, in the mental health field and medicine field, I don't think a lot of people really understand addiction well. And then I think also in the addiction world, a lot of people don't understand the mental health world well. Right. There's, they're kept Just like we talked about with Val, occupational therapy and mental health, nobody talks to each other well, right? Right. Right. And they all think that their way is the only way right. and that they often don't think the other perspective is valid. And I think ultimately you end up hurting patients or clients because if you only, if the only thing you have is a hammer, right? Everything's a nail. And I think that happens too often in the field. Uh, if you don't have people around who can help bridge it. Uh, and so I think that's one area I'm pretty good at is being able to understand mental health and addiction and see that they're really, there's not, addiction is a mental health issue <laughs> and it's not a separate thing. You also have a little bit more, you have yoga experience. Yeah. And a little bit yep. more Eastern type knowledge. Yeah. Certainly than I have. 
Definitely. Yeah. So I've um, taught yoga for about 12 years, maybe 11 years. Um, and have practiced for a little bit longer than that. And that's a huge part of my life. Um, and how, for me, what recovery, what mental health, what mindfulness and mindful parenting is about. So yeah, I can definitely, we could do episodes on mindfulness and yoga and how that all integrates into optimizing our own life experiences and relationships. So we're going to become... And you do... Um, karate. Karate. You're like that the totally karate kid. That totally gives me a kid. spiritual side that I never had before. Actually, wow. honestly, honestly, it has. I'd like to talk I, about that maybe at some point. Yeah. But no, it was very, very humbling cool. in its own way. I'd love to hear about that. Can we do an episode soon Now we can. Now that we've made our program more inclusive, we can talk about that kind of stuff. I love and it. And feel good about ourselves. Yeah. You do Kempo? Is that the Kempo, right? yeah. Kempo. Yeah. Kempo. Very cool. He often comes in late to work because he's at the gym. He's one of those guys. <laughs> a little early. Change here. Yeah. So anyways, that's sort of where we are. And I feel like talking about our identity crisis has moved us a little bit on the path to improving the crisis. <laughs> what, what does one say? Shifting out of, stabilizing. Shifting, stabilizing. Yeah. Settling. Yeah. Maybe role modeling for others. So we could thank our audience for basically... Being, Being therapist. our therapist today. Right. And listening for to Don us. Convick. So thank you, everybody. Yeah. Tune in next time to see what the hell we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> or call and let us know what yeah. we should. It would be very useful to yeah. us. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear or write in. Yeah. requests about what people want to hear, including the vast world of medicine and mental health, addiction. And maybe just about us. More about Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Have a good new year. This may be published after new year's but we're gonna have a good new year absolutely and, uh, see you in 2023 bye folks we hope you've enjoyed this episode of is there a med for that for more information about our podcast and our clinical work visit our website at medforthat.com if you've got questions comments or topics you'd like us to cover feel free to email us at contact at medforthat.com we'd love to answer some of your questions on air have a great day